BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Are the old world picturesque shores of Europe calling you? Set sail on an adventure with Avalon Waterways. Enjoy an elevated cruising experience. Avalon Waterways offers smaller ships, bigger experiences with fewer people and more of, well, everything good about river cruising. Don't just dream about quaint towns and cobblestone villages. See them for yourself and make lasting memories. Discover limited time offers today at avalonwaterways.com. Kathy Griffin calls herself a D-list comedian. She was beloved for poking fun at America's celebrity culture. Then a violent tweet mocking President Trump got her some A-list attention from federal law enforcement. On this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast, Kathy Griffin talks about how her notorious tweet transformed her career and her entire life. Kathy, how are you? Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I feel like this should have happened before. Years ago, decades ago, I tell you. <laughs> uh, you know, you have made me smile ever since that D-list thing. I just love that. That is, uh, um, uh, I've said of you before that I feel like you're more fun than is legal, which I like. <laughs> well, I've almost been, you know, um, institutionalized for it. So I- I'm ready to make you laugh, whatever you want. I lo- now, were you, were you funny as a little kid? Like if I had met you as a kid, were you funny back then? I believe the word we used then was obnoxious, but let's go with funny. <laughs> that, that is true. And then were you were you the baby girl? Were you the youngest kid? Or, or yes, I was the, the I was the youngest. But just keep in mind, I'm 60, and my oldest brother still calls me the baby of the family. So you know, um, I, I decided to make it an asset, not a liability. <laughs> you know, I absolutely love that. I've got two little sisters, and. Uh, they would not be considered little today, but I still think of them as the little girls, and I'm sure I always will, even when they're 98 and 99. So it's the <laughs> uh, it's the right way. It's the way it goes. You know, I, not- I noticed right away that you also, you do physical comedy with your eyes and with your face. Did you do that naturally as a kid, or is that something you uh, you learned as you got serious about comedy? You know, I think I may have honed those skills at Catholic school because, you know, when the nuns are always up your butt, you know, uh, and I mean that literally, no, uh, you know, you learn to do whatever you can with your facial expressions to avoid the ruler, as they used to say. So, yes, I'm big on facial expressions and uh, I get physical when I can, you know, so if I'm doing one of my specials and I get to roll out on the stage, that's fun as well. But I'm all about the facial expressions. I like the side eye. I like the eye roll. They're all in my toolbox. <laughs> now, do you ever get nervous uh, uh, standing on stage or, or being in front of the camera, or 
is this like what you've lived for the whole time and you're like you're easy with it it's what I've lived for. I mean, you know, I, um, I've been doing uh, stand-up for so long, in particular touring and, and, like I said, specials and, you know, sitcoms and stuff like that. And typically, for some reason, my pattern is I, I'm not nervous at all. I have a little nervous phase for maybe about 15 minutes prior to showtime. And yet I'm kind of one of those where once I run out on stage, I forget about that. And I'm more focused on staying in tune with what the audience is giving back and what they're into. And every audience is different. So I can usually tell in about the first 10 minutes, and I usually do about a two hour show, I can usually tell them about the first two minutes, uh, first 10 minutes, if they're into like material about, you know, family, material about politics, material about celebrity pop culture. And I, I take my cues from them to a large extent. And how much improv, like how much new material are you doing? Or is it usually stuff that you've already honed elsewhere? Or are you like literally calling audibles depending on the audience? Highly improvisational. So, you know, when you tour as much as I do, and of course, after COVID, that's going to be my great joy to go back to the road. But, um, you know, often I'll play a market uh, maybe twice in a year. So if I'm playing, you know, the State Theater in Minneapolis or something, and then I'm fortunate enough to go back there within 10 months or something, I keep in mind, I'm cognizant of the fact that there might be some people that came to the show 10 months ago. So I love to turn over my material a lot. Um, you know, I'm very imperfect, but damn it, I'm prolific. And um, <laughs> I've done 23 televised stand-up comedy specials. I'm in the Guinness Book of World Records for having done more uh, televised stand-up specials than any comedian, male or female, living or dead. And so when that's your gig, you just, you come up with a lot of stuff. So I also love to do about the first 15 minutes of a show based on whatever happened that day. So I'm checking my phone, checking my laptop until the minute I go on stage. And, you know, when you make fun of celebrities as much as I do, sometimes you have to make sure no one died at five to eight, <laughs> which has happened. <laughs> And then it's all love and rainbows. Yeah. Yeah. I, all right. So now take me around the country. Like, where is fun to play? Or who has, like, unique audience or a tough audience or, you know, whatever? Like, take me around the country a little bit. Easy. L.A. is the toughest. And I live in Los Angeles now. I'm from Chicago, but I live in L.A. And L.A.'s audiences are so rough. They're so jaded. They're like, oh, please, we can go to, you know, a, a talk show taping. We can go see a celebrity in a sitcom taking, taping or we can see, you know, a celebrity at the grocery store. And so uh, there's a lot, a lot of industry folks, too. Notorious for not laughing. Notorious for coming late. So, uh, oh, and everybody wants a free ticket in LA. Everybody, like my doctor calls me, you know, my shrink who I give at least 400 bucks a week to, God love him, he's busy. And, you know, and yet they all want comps, right? I'm not paying. And then they don't want to stand in line. I had to wait in line for my free ticket. Can you imagine? And I brought my whore. That was embarrassing for me. When I say whore, I say it with love. I mean, working girl and God love her. She's in the oldest industry in the world. The point is LA is a little rough. And, you know, I don't know that, it, that cities really have a flavor. I mean, certain areas, like, believe it or not, I've played Florida and New Jersey more than any other states in the United States. And so I, I can't exactly tell you why, but I think um, I do pretty well on the East Coast because I think sort of I'm a, a tough talking gal. And yet, and, you know, let's see what happens after sort of Trumpism uh, maybe loosens its grip on the country. But I believe it or not, I would also do quite well in the South. So I have a great history of, of doing lots of shows in Texas and, um, you know, all over the South. And, you know, there's 
there's the riverboat casinos and sometimes those crowds just want to let loose and yet I, I'm also so proud of the shows I've done at Carnegie Hall in, in New York, where I, I like to think I've made um, that venue a little more, how shall I say, casual for the evening. So I'm not exactly, you know, the fourth cello when I play Carnegie, but it's always an honor. I, so are you, when you're in the South, can you make fun of someone like Trump in front of Trump supporters? Like, do they laugh or like, how do they relate to when you might be poking fun at like their people? You know, there's been honestly a night and day reaction from before my Trump photo scandal and after. So number one, I've known Trump off and on for decades. So when he announced that he was even running, all of a sudden I had all these Trump jokes and these stories about, you know, sitting next to him at a roast in Manhattan or, you know, I was on one episode. um, No, I was actually a, a part of two challenges on The Apprentice and I spent this crazy with him and his like dumb golf course for part of an episode with Liza Minnelli. Like, it's actually a great story, but to tell you the truth, nobody really wanted to hear about Donald Trump prior to really 2015 or 2016. So prior to my photo scandal, everybody loved those stories because number one, I I don't think the Trump cult was quite as indoctrinated. And number two, people were kind of letting themselves laugh at him. And in my opinion, he wasn't really showing himself to be as dangerous as, in my opinion, he has shown himself to be. So it's kind of makes me sad because the same folks who, you know, whatever they think about me now, because I'm polarizing, those same folks were more than happy to hear about what it's like to spend a day with the Donald and the crazy things he said to Liza and how Liza was the sanest one out of the two of them. And, you know, people could laugh about something like that. And, um, you know, on my, on my last tour, that Kathy Griffin laugh your head off tour, I actually had incidents with Trump supporters. I had a guy pull a knife on me. I had several security incidents, you know, it was a whole different ball game when I went on tour after the photo scandal. And yet, I've never sold so many tickets in my life. I got to play Radio City Music Hall for the first time in my career the night after I sold out Carnegie Hall. I got to tour the world and play countries I would never play. So uh, it, it's just, it's, I feel like you're, you're, you're actually talking to someone who's sort of seen the whole arc from like, oh, okay, she's making fun of that reality show guy who might run for president. Oh my gosh, she knows the guy who's running for president who's crazy. Oh my gosh, she knows the guy who's the nominee. And then it was like, oh my gosh, she's a member of the deep state and you know whatever else folks <laughs> think about me now. Because I'm now drawn into like every scandal from, you know, I'm a member of ISIS. I don't know if you've heard this, Carlos. Very <laughs> believable, very believable. So, you know, I've kind of heard it all at this point, so you got to laugh. So so, um, tell me what that's like to actually be in the crosshairs of, because he isn't just a reality show contestant. He was the 45th commander-in-chief. He's in charge of the military and, you know, the Justice Department, all that sort of stuff. Like, were you really at risk in any real way, or was it just annoying and you got through it and you ended up traveling the country and the world? I would say it was very real because, you know, I think I'm kind of the first, like the first person that Trump went for, certainly who was at least a civilian. And of course he goes for, you know, a female comedian and, you know, private citizen, uh, actually the first private citizen in the history of the country to um, not at all violate the first amendment. And I've got many, many large lawyer bills to prove it. Um, But what happened was after the photo scandal, not only did he tweet about me and then um, enlisted the whole first family, but he actually instructed the department of justice to put me under, under a legitimate federal investigation by two federal agencies, the Secret Service and the U.S. Attorney's Office, and they were investigating me, and I had to be interrogated under oath. 
And that also didn't happen to anybody else. And uh, they were considering charging me with the crime of conspiracy to assassinate the president of the United States, which holds a lifetime sentence. So I can certainly make a lot of jokes about it. And I've, I've done a tour based on it. I've made a film and the whole thing. But it was also very real at the same time. And so were, were you stressed? Like, were, I, mean, I mean, you obviously are making jokes now and you're saying, well, but like, were you stressed like either deep in here or, or somewhere else? Were you stressed? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it was such a pervasive thing. You know, my um, my mom, who's no longer with us and my sister, who unfortunately passed away um, from cancer. You know, my sister got death threats in the cancer ward of the hospital she was in. My mom got death threats in the retirement village where she lived. You know, it, it was um, I think it was in many ways the first time that the Trump army was unleashed on, like I said, sort of an entertainer. And uh, I know all about that cancel culture that gets talked about. And, you know, it was because of the seriousness of the actual federal investigations, it had real repercussions for me. So, um, you know, besides the fact that uh, my security to this day is something that is uh, something I have to kind of think about. At the time, it was extremely intense. And, um, you know, I was quarantining long before COVID, if you know what I'm saying. So it was very real. And I think the part that, you know, to, 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 to think that the Department of Justice would play along with this was definitely a surreal thing. And to have my very expensive and very capable attorneys say to me, look, you screw up this interrogation and you could leave cuffs is very real. And, uh, you know, for someone like me, who, of course, all I want to do is make people laugh and joke around all the time to be in that very serious situation. I wish you could have seen like our study sessions for my interrogation. I mean... It was like, they had like a light bulb flying above me, like, no, do not make dick jokes. I was like, oh, come on. Um, but ultimately, it did become very real, and it kind of goes on in some ways. But it's definitely been an amazing learning lesson, and it's given me some, so I like to say comedically, it's actually put more meat on the bone. And so, in a way, I, I really have loved you know, making the film and touring with this material. And believe it or not, wherever I go, people still ask me about the Trump photo more than anything. And my good friend, fellow dissident and resistor Jane Fonda said, kid, this is going to be on your tombstone. So I've come to accept it. Oh, I kind of like that. Maybe, maybe yeah. that is a, a good thing. Who, who were your heroes growing up? Like which comedians did you laugh at? Did you laugh with and enjoy? You know, I'm not a comedy snob. I've always loved all kinds of comedy. So first of all, I grew up on like, you know, when I was a little kid, it was the Ed Sullivan show and records. So, you know, we had the, like the Cheech and Chong records and that was a really big deal. And, you know, when I would think about the early tonight show and stuff, it was whoever made me laugh, but of course, of course I have an affinity for the women. So it was, you know, moms, Mabley and Phyllis Diller and Joan Rivers, who I later had the honor of becoming very good friends with. And I always was looking to see when the women got to be funny. And I also love the great sidekicks, you know, Phyllis on the Mary Tyler Moore show, Rhoda on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Ethel. I mean, Lucy was amazing. I wanted to be Ethel. So I really always loved and admired the women that could come in, get their jokes, let the pretty girl do the heavy lifting and then leave. And as a stand-up, you know, I, I, I love stand-up so much because um, it's, it's one of the few fields that if you have the goods and you can deliver and you can really make an audience of people laugh, you can do it. You know, I mean, you may not be rich and famous, but you can do it. And if you love it, you get to write your own material, which is great because, you know, a lot of my female friends that are strictly actresses, they kind of express like, oh, I don't get to write my stuff. And I'm like, well, when you're a comic, you get to write it as well. So I, I've, I really love watching, in particular, the women who 
were unique in some way or memorable and have long careers. I'm all about the long game. So those are probably my role models, but I, I laugh at anybody who's funny. When, when did, and when did you break through? Like you knew you were funny earlier, you liked it, but like when was this no longer just something you were doing for fun, but like you were, this was your job. This was who, who you were, at least what you got to do. Are you going to make me go over my iconic Fresh Prince of Bel-Air episode? Um, look, oh. I mean, I worked for free for so many years. You know, I'm from Chicago and in Chicago, they don't play with the like you work for free. And so no one in, you know, my relatives and stuff couldn't understand why I would be doing a student film for free. Or I was in the Groundlings comedy improv group, which was just an amazing ground uh, training ground and worked with some of the great comics and uh, improvisers. And then I went on to teach. That was my day job for a while. But honestly, I did the grind for years until I got a paying gig. I mean, years. Like, I wasn't even on a work show until I was like 36 or 35. And so I was trying and trying and trying. And then in one year, I got guest spots on Ellen, Seinfeld, Mad About You, ER. Um, and then eventually they had the show Suddenly Susan with Brooke Shields where they needed the funny sidekick. Huh? <laughs> and like every other gig I've ever had, they had another chick do the pilot. She got canned and they were desperate. So I got the job. I am happy to take three seconds. I'm there when you fired the other person. I'm there when you don't know who else to call. It's made, built this house, damn it. And so probably being on that show, Suddenly Susan, was a network show. And then because of that, I got my first HBO special. And um, when I was on that show, Suddenly Susan, which I had, it was like not a good show, but I had the best time being on it. I mean, it was like the most fun people backstage. And also like working with Brooke Shields for four years was just fun. Like she was, she was married to Andre Agassi. Like there was a lot of drama there that was fun. And, you know, the cast was great. We had a great time. And anyway, so after that, um, I got more into stand-up and I started doing more specials. And then I got to do my own show on MTV for a season called Kathy Griffin's So-Called Reality, ahead of its time. And then um, finally I got the My Life on the D-List show. And honestly, that's the show that brought the Emmy Awards and all the kind of like respectful recognition. And that's really that's really the show that helped me. And kind of to this day, I, I just love when people love that show or ask me about the D-List or on the street, hey, D-List. I'm like, that's me, baby. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. 
Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Wait, so now what happened in that one year when it finally broke? Like looking back, because I'm always curious about how people break through. I'm especially interested when it took a little bit longer than expected, like what finally happened. So what do you think in retrospect finally happened? Well, I think a couple of things that are important, at least they were for me mentally. So for example, all those years I was in the groundlings, I was in my twenties. Right. And I, like I said, I love being a sidekick. I love being the funny one. And frankly, I would watch a lot of the other women in that group and they were upset that they couldn't play the pretty girl or they'd say, well, how come I have to be the frumpy best friend who's funny when in real life I have the cute guy. And I'd say, who cares in real life, do whatever you want, but go get the gig. And so honestly, I think frankly, setting my sights on trying to be the funny sidekick was just helpful because it was more realistic. And then I was able to really focus on that and try to be the best sidekick I could. And luckily that happened. And then when I was on that network sitcom, like I said, it was a great job, but I really learned, okay, as a comedian, as an artist, as a writer, this is kind of the direction I want to go. So it was such a luxury to go, this is my day job. I'm going to do the best I can. I'm not going to, you know, do anything to screw this up. And then on the weekends, I'm going to go on the road. And I started headlining clubs and I started writing more stuff and doing more specials. And that was great. And then after that show ended, I thought I was going to go on to another show and I couldn't get arrested. I mean, I had that year where I was sleeping till three in the afternoon and, you know, everybody forgot my name. So I created my own show at MTV and I went and did that. And that was helpful. It didn't really it didn't really help like me go to the next thing. And then sure enough, I went back to my roots and there's a club in Los Angeles and um, I called them up and I said, what's your worst night where nobody buys a ticket? And they said, Wednesday nights at 10. And it was the Laugh Factory. And I said, I'll take it. And um, I started doing shows where I- Wait, 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 did did you really do that? You really did that? And just so you know, I was already like, I had already been on a network show and I had like HBO specials and stuff. And you know, that's the, Hey, that's showbiz, right? And one minute you're hot, one minute you're not. And it was so great because, um, I, I promised the audience that I would have a new hour every single week. And that's what I did. So it was great. There were lines around the block after a while and it kind of took off and it was almost like a serial. Like people would come and they'd hear an hour knowing, hey, you know, if I did nothing to do next Wednesday at 10, I can come again and she'll have a whole new hour. And um, it was, I was able to kind of build an audience and that was just, that was in a way that was a breakthrough thing. And not, I didn't make any money doing that, but it was, I started kind of getting more industry folks to come and look at me as real buyers, not just, oh, she's great, but I can't think of anything. And then I had dreams of getting my own NBC, very expensive sitcom with a big budget and four cameras and lots of expensive writers. And instead, 
they said, we think we can follow you around with a camera for almost nothing and make a show. And so that's what led to my life on the D-list. And at first I wasn't sure if a reality show could be funny, but I always thought, well, what if I could try to do a reality show that's really a sitcom in disguise? And that's what I tried to do. So I was, you know, I, I knew my mom and dad were naturals and I was so glad I put them on the show to the point where they were so popular that every time they focus group the show, the network would come back and go, your parents have to be in every episode. And I was like, of course, they're Irish alcoholics. Everything they say is funny. There's no filter. And, um, you know, I, I really loved building that show and the theme of always trying to get off the list is a theme I live to this day. And, you know, I did it for six seasons and I got Emmy nominations every year and I won twice and I I couldn't believe that and so I think ever since then I've been just trying to you know like I don't want to say like be too judicious about what I do but it 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 made it gave me the experience to know what it's like to like kind of craft your own show and for me truly being improvisational and that show was really unscripted like that's one of the reasons I got a little snobby about reality shows and I would trash a lot of them in my act because I can see like on the housewives and stuff when you see them reading like and then we went to the party and boy was I mad at Shanice you know okay and (laughs) you know on my show we would just film for hours and hours and most of it funny but darn it it was real and so I I really enjoyed doing that but the edict was always it has to be funny every week there's never you know it shouldn't be happy by like real life drama on the show and you know if you can make it with continue with this theme I think people related to this idea of being on the d-list and being kind of an outsider looking in whatever your field and um you know after six years I I kind of felt like they were trying to make it a little bit scripted and they probably were a little bit over and so we parted ways but it was just, you know, a great show. And like I said, I'm always thrilled when anybody references it or liked it. So how did you come up with the D-list? Because the other thing is, I thought it was such great packaging. Because years ago, a football player, Joe Montana, told me he thought part of the reason he was so successful was because of his name. He said, Carlos, every sportscaster <laughs> loved saying my name. They wanted me to be the hero at the end of the story. And mm-hmm. he said, yes, I had to play well, but they also were rooting for me. And I felt like the D-list is like one of those great titles that like, how could you not like whoever came up with that? (laughs) How did you come up with that? Or did you? I, I did. A few things for inspirations. Number one, um, uh, I remember I was watching, well, you know, people love to talk about the A-list in Hollywood, right? This one's an A-lister and this one isn't an A-lister. And I was like, well, you know, there's a lot more letters. And I certainly have never been anywhere the A-list. So I was like, let me see how the other letters are doing for me. And I um, I got the idea one year when I was watching the Golden Globes. And if you look at the seating chart for the Golden Globes, in the very front are the biggest movie stars from feature films. Then they kind of go to like the HBO documentary people. And then in the back of the room are TV stars, which is hysterical because more people actually probably know TV stars. And I remember at the time, I'm not dissing anybody, I promise, but I would laugh thinking, okay, let's say Jack Nicholson is in the front row. And then you have somebody like Ray Romano in the back. And Ray Romano's being like a million an episode, you know, everybody knows his TV show and all that other stuff. And I thought, oh my gosh, there's a place in everybody's life where everybody's on the list, you know? And um, I, I just thought if I was at the Golden Globes, I'd be in the parking lot. Like, where am I going to, if, if these big TV stars are in the back of the Golden Globes, where the hell am I? I'm in the parking lot with a bag of popcorn crying. And, um, you know, and so I kept hearing about all these lists and I thought B is too high. C is too much like a grade. I'm D list, baby. And so I did a special called Kathy Griffin, the D list. And then when it came time to do the series, 
you know, uh, they said, you know, we want to call it my life on the D list. And I said, sounds good. So, you know, you are so easy with yourself and so easy with comedy. And um, I'm so curious about where that comes from, because, you know, the one other, uh, there are a couple other places where I've heard people say that, believe it or not, uh, in terms of becoming president, uh, the most famous book about people become presidents um, called What It Takes says that in the end, you have to just get completely comfortable with yourself because there's going to be so much scrutiny that you have to be okay being a rich man's son, Donald Trump or W, or you've got to be okay being a half-flight kid from Hawaii or whatever, but you've got to kind of be comfortable in your own skin. How, how did you get so comfortable, or at least you seem really, com- I mean, I don't know if it's an act, but you seem really comfortable, as comfortable as anyone I've met. I, I kind of like this. Like, I'm one of those people when people are like, are you always this on? I'm like, yeah, kind of. You know, I mean, some may say annoying. I prefer on. Um, An artist prepares. But you know, I, I think that that's where I'm just comfortable being that person. You know what I mean? So I'd love to be able to put on airs and I'd love to affect an accent or something. But I'm just not the girl who can get away with that. And so I, I love real comedy, you know. And if I go to see a comedian or watch a special or what I think of the greats, if I think about watching Richard Pryor, I think feel like I got to know him a little bit at the end of that special. I don't know if that's true or not. But, you know, I, I like artists that expose themselves for who they are. And I don't really want to see an artifice at that moment. And so, you know, I do this kind of comedy because it's really the only kind I know how to do. And it's sort of like, when it comes to my stand-up, I'm really more of a storyteller. I'm not really sort of a knock-knock joke, like punchline type of person, um, because that's the kind of comedy I know how to do. And that's the way I write. So um, I'd like to be more snobby and fake. I, I just don't know how, but... If you have any tips, I'd love it. I'd probably be doing much better. <laughs> You're doing all right. So are you ever scared of any material? Like, like really, truly? Have you ever been like, okay, even I'm not going to do that? I, I, I go back and forth. You know, there are certain times that I, I'll, I'll definitely ease back on certain material. Like, honestly, this is, you know, I hope I'm not being too sensitive, but there are, there are celebrities that I would make fun of. And frankly, they were prominent in my act. And if they pass away, there's like this period of time. I learned that from Joan Rivers as well, because she was, you know, talking smack about everybody for so long. And then sometimes the person would pass away and maybe they'd be a beloved figure. And notice she'd kind of let it sit for a while. And, you know, I believe it or not, I I noticed that with my own father. So, so many people knew my mom and dad from the D-list show, or, I mean, I included my parents in in everything, you know. Um, And, you know, when my father passed away, so many folks that watch my stuff knew so I felt like I had to kind of wait until I could feel from them that it was okay to tell an old John Griffin story and um, believe it or not I kind of do that with celebrities as well so I was actually you know I I used to do this whole um, you know whole chunk about Anna Nicole Smith and my act and I knew her and I went to her house for Christmas one time and like she just I mean the material wrote itself but to kind of be up close and personal with her was also sort of great she was so wacky and yet I kind of like, she had like a sweet to her and I just, I love these larger than life characters and she would just do outrageous things on and off camera. And I remember she passed away when I had a show that evening and I went out, I said to the audience, you know, I don't know if you guys have heard, but Anna Nicole Smith has, has passed away. And I said, you know, I love to make fun of her, but I also kind of loved her. So I'm just not going to do stuff tonight. And people clap, you know, and then enough time passes where I can say, oh my gosh, you guys, 
I've done Hollywood squares with people that are dead. Dead as doornails. Let's go for the list. You know, and then I sort of, it gives you like a little sort of, I guess, comedic license to talk about it. So I, I kind of be, try to be sensitive, but um, I think, you know, I work shows that I'm not very good at it. I get in trouble more than anything. I've been fired more than I've been hired. And um, I, I thought that would change at some point, but it, apparently it hasn't. You know, I've, I've been canceled, you know, all caps. And I will say that's probably made me more fearless. So I don't know if the cancellation worked. Like, I don't know if it took, I'm probably going to be canceled a few more times because they're trying to cancel me and I'm like reemerging. So, you know, I don't know what to tell you, but I'm like, you know, I'm like the uh, Night of the Living Dead a little. I'm a little bit of a comedy zombie. You know, you better get the knife right in the eye or else I'm coming back. Well, and, and so what does your boy Anderson say? Because you guys were like this and then yeah. all of a sudden you were canceled out of that. Like, <laughs> what does he say now? Does he, is he like roll his eyes and say, okay, you'll be back in a year? Or like, what does he say? I don't know. I think he says thoughts and prayers. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm banned for life from CNN for life. And first of all, I never worked there. I had one night a year there. And second of all, I was like, even when I'm dead, like obituaries, no. And, you know, like I did their specials, these like, you know, women of comedy and comedy and this. And they actually, they actually, and this is expensive in post, they actually cut me out of those specials where they'd sit down with comedians and talk about whatever the history of comedy and stuff. And so um, I'm still canceled, you know, most places. Am I canceled from this interview? Or are we still talking? <laughs> You're not. We're still good. We're, we're still <laughs> just tell we're me. Not. I'm used to it, but just tell me. No, we're still good. We're, we're still <laughs> BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity.
All right, let's turn to love life. Did I hear yeah. you got married this year? Yes, um, uh, I married my husband who's 19 years younger than I. Don't you judge, don't even think about it. <laughs> Wipe that smirk off your face, young man. Um, I can't help it if I'm hot, I'm not gonna apologize. Sexy, up an aisle. All right. So um, anyway, we were we've been dating for eight years, and um, okay. So here's the part that's funny. So we decided to get married on New Year's Eve last year because 2019 had been a little bit of a difficult year, and we decided that 2020 could not be worse, and just started off with a bang. So I would say, arguably, well observed. Conventional wisdom, 2020, the worst year in recent modern history, but we were going to turn that ship around. So, um, you know, we're not going to renew the vows or anything, but yes, I'm very happily married and um, it's, you know, we're, we've been together all this time, which I love and he's my tour manager and, you know, we just miss traveling, but, you know, we work together well and had some great times and, you know, we, we fixed 2020 is the bottom line. <laughs> Everything went smoothly after our wedding. <laughs> Wait, so how did you guys meet? How did this happen? You know, when you're a gal comedian on the road, you don't exactly meet like a bunch of dudes, right? And so um, I felt like I was never going to meet anybody. And I remember I was, I was doing a great gig, by the way. I was actually performing, I think it was at the Shell in Honolulu. And I was at the airport and I started crying. And I called, wait for it, Cher. Yeah, you heard me. I called Cher and I said, I said, I'm going to die alone and lonely and nobody wants to be with a female comedian. And how am I, is it possible to die of loneliness? <laughs> and she went, oh, Kathleen, stop, you're killing me. And she actually gave me advice, which I took, which is she said, take your greedy ass off the road. You have enough money. She said, go off the road for one weekend and do stuff that you would normally never do. Put yourself with people that you wouldn't typically be with, a whole thing. And um, I got tickets to a food festival in Los Angeles called The Taste LA. It was put on by the Los Angeles Times. And I went with some girlfriends, who were my wing women. And sure enough, I, um, I saw this guy and then a couple of friends came up and said, oh, can you go meet some people from the LA Times? And he worked at the LA Times. And of course I opened with a joke, even though I shouldn't open with a joke because that goes against the rules. And he laughed. And so um, he asked me out that for dinner, which never happens in these days because it wasn't like, oh, can I text you for six months where we try to figure out if either one of us wants to, you know, meet in person. And we went out to dinner. Well, I slept with him the first night. And then we went out to dinner again a few nights later. We've been together ever since. I'm all about closing the deal the first night. Let's see what you're getting. So anyway, uh, we've been together ever since. And uh, he's a great guy. I, lo I love that. So, so, so that is, that's Kathy's love story. I'm going to take it. I want to finish with a little bit of an impromptu Kathy Griffin roast. I want to throw a bunch of things to you since you say you love improv. I want to yes. throw a couple people in front of you and things, and I would just love to hear whatever you got. Sure. Kanye West. Crazy. Gifted. <laughs> Not presidential. <laughs> Former next-door neighbor. I don't know if you know that. He used to be my next door neighbor, he and the wife. Like, no. oh, are you kidding? Like, I could open the window and shake their hand. That They were the most fun next door neighbors ever. I got like a whole new hour act. I mean, we were good friends. And, um, you know, I, like they had like a Rolls Royce golf cart that they would drive around the community. And one time it broke down and Kanye was there with like a flatbed and it was like beep, beep, beep. And I just walked past him and I just like this. All that money. 
<laughs> that hurts. Okay, that's good. Ellen DeGeneres. Cold. Ice going through the veins instead of blood. But you know what? <laughs> I love her. She's a little rough. She's a little rough. You know, we've had our issues, but, um, you know, thoughts and prayers. Yeah, thoughts and prayers. Okay. Jeff Bezos. Too rich, too rich, too powerful. I do like that he isn't afraid of Trump. That's the good thing. But, you know, I'm scared of that Amazon. I'm afraid they're going to end up owning the rainforest. They own everything. <laughs> Bernie Sanders. I mean, you know, wants to be the labor secretary. Great. Has, the, has a little bit of the cult following, let's be honest. Um, you know, he kind of moved on up like the Jeffersons. He's now got like the lake home and everything. But I think he's a good senator. Ivanka Trump. Horrible. Horrible. Grifter. Grifter, felon, soon to be felon, whiny. Also, you know, I mean, I've had a little work done, but that one really cleans my clock in that department. I mean, she looks very different than she used to. And the husband with the drag queen eyebrows and the looks like he had a facial every four seconds. I mean, those two are trouble. Stay away. Stay away. Last but not least, yours truly, Carlos Watson. Adorable. Too good for this world. When does my check come? <laughs> hey, Kathy, you are just all kinds of delightful. I, I, you are, I, I think you are the most comfortable, fluid person I've ever talked to. I really believe that. I, this is, this was a joy and, and your check will be coming soon. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm an artist, but I'm kind of in it for the money. I love Kruberans. You know, I'd love some gold. Um, all right. Well, you're fantastic, and your show is great, and that's why you're doing so well. So, honestly, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure, and you're great, and I hope to see you in real life someday. Ozzy has asked the Department of Justice to comment on Kathy Griffin's remarks about her experiences with federal law enforcement. Thanks for listening to the Carlos Watson Show podcast. Please let your friends know about us. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Are the old world picturesque shores of Europe calling you? Set sail on an adventure with Avalon Waterways. Enjoy an elevated cruising experience. 
Avalon Waterways offers smaller ships, bigger experiences, with fewer people, and more of, well, everything good about river cruising. Don't just dream about quaint towns and cobblestone villages. See them for yourself and make lasting memories. Discover limited-time offers today at avalonwaterways.com.